Thank you for joining us today and a big thank you to our show sponsor, Amazing Jane Activewear, recommended as best leggings for running by Women's Fitness Magazine. Karen and I have been trialing their designs for a few months and we can happily recommend them. All designs are cut to skim, not cling, giving you confidence to look and feel great and focus on performance. So if you'd like to try Amazing Jane Activewear, please use our listeners special discount code RHH10 for 10% off all purchases at amazingjane.com. Amazing Jane ship around the world, so please check their website for details. Have you ever heard of FAT, the female athlete triad? Well, it's a serious health syndrome and potentially affects both professional and recreational runners. Most female runners are unaware of FAT and how nutrition and energy availability may impact its development. So today we're discussing current research and we'll outline nutritional approaches to help reduce the risk of it becoming a concern for you. Hello and welcome to She Runs, Eats, Performs. I'm Aileen Smith and I co-host our show with my very good friend and business partner, Karen Campbell. We're both professional nutritionists and our spare time we're runners. Our show is dedicated to you, a female midlife runner. The menopause transition is a challenging time for many women and no one wants this phase of life to affect their well-being or indeed their running. As midlife women, Karen and I know what you might be experiencing and we also know how transformational good nutrition is at this stage of life. Our approach is to swap magic bullet advice for evidence-based nutritional science. We focus on real food and strategic food choices so you can enjoy your running and be your best. We hope that our episode topics are helpful to you. However, if you'd like professional help from us, please book a complimentary work with us call at runnershealthhub.com. The suggestions we make during this episode are for guidance and advice only and are not a substitute for medical advice or treatment. If you have any concerns regarding your health, please contact your healthcare professional for advice as soon as possible. and I'm here with Karen as always and our topic for today is all about the female athlete triad and how that affects runners. Um, So before we outline what we're going to discuss today I just wanted to welcome back our regular listeners and if you are listening for the first time a really warm welcome to you and we hope you enjoy this episode and you have the opportunity to look at some of our previous episodes and enjoy all the ones that are to follow. Um, So Karen and I really enjoy podcasting uh, but we really love it when we hear from you so please drop us a line at hello at runnershealthhub.com introduce yourself share a little bit about your running and your nutrition goals because it really helps us plan future topics for the podcast if we know what you're interested in so hi Karen and getting back to our topic for today which as I said is all about the female athlete triad uh, in runners Um, I wondered if uh, you could outline what we're going to discuss today regarding this topic yeah, absolutely. Hi, Alien, and hi, everybody out there. Um, yes, I, I do think that female athlete triad is a huge topic and very closely linked to um, REDS, so that relative energy deficiency in sport, which we have discussed actually in detail in a previous episode. So that's episode 54, Eating Enough to Run. So we won't talk about um, REDS here today, um, but, but there is lots of information out there on a a previous episode. Now, we've also touched on FAT, so female athlete triad, way back in episode six when we discussed performance effects of overtraining syndrome so that, again, we do have more information out there on the subject. But today, what we will do is we will give you an update on the current research into this subject. We'll outline uh, nutritional approaches to help prevent FAT occurring for you and discuss how to put some of these recommendations into action, again, to try and limit the risk of it occurring. So that's a large Great, thanks, Karen. I'm glad you've called it FAT because I was thinking it's going to be quite a long-winded <laughs> way of describing it. So it's good to call it FAT. Um, yes. So we've got lots to chat about today. Um, but before we do that, I think it was always good to just explain why we've chosen to discuss this topic. 
Mm, and I, actually, with this one, there are several reasons really for choosing it. Firstly, is that the FAT, um, it's actually a syndrome and it's known to be prevalent in particular sports and running is one of those sports. Um, but I do think that many female runners are unaware of it and its potential health implications. So really what today is about is educating our followers so that um so that really you can observe for signs and symptoms of it in yourself or potentially in fellow runners and then being able to take some action or supporting your fellow runners or running buddy in taking some action. Now, another reason is because many conversations these days, I think, focus more on REDS, so that relative energy deficiency in sport that I mentioned, which is absolutely warranted and really important um, because it includes male athletes as well as female athletes. Um, and it also addresses additional health concerns um, to that outlined in FAT as well. So, But I just wanted to bring a bit of a focus back onto FAT because it doesn't get spoken about quite so much. Um, but, but also FAT focuses on just the female athlete and therefore the research is completed on just female athletes. And that's really rare. So I thought that was another good reason to be discussing it because it is looking specifically at research on female female athletes. Um, and also, there was a paper published in 2022 that focused on aspects of FAT in recreational runners. Now, again, it's really rare that any research is carried out on recreational runners. It's usually on professional and elite athletes or athletes of college and university um, level. So that was another reason for, for choosing. It's a lots of reason um, to, to share this information with you all, because I think, you know, at, at the end of the day, most of us are recreational runners. So I think that that would be a good paper to, to just speak a little bit about. Great. So lots of great reasons, as you say, Karen. And, uh, you know, as female recreational runners, we've got an interest in this. So let's start by defining uh, FAT just so that we've got a clearer understanding of what it is. So FAT uh, was acknowledged as a condition um, in the early 90s, so in 1992. And it was defined as a syndrome, as you said, Karen, and, and syndromes tend to be a collection of interrelated symptoms and conditions and FAT um, was focusing on three uh, interrelated conditions which included disordered eating, um, amenorrhea which is men menstrual dysfunction and osteoporosis uh, where there's low mineral bone density um, in girls and women. Um, and the, the athlete's health is, is said to move along a spectrum depending on diet and exercise behaviors. And, you know, just thinking about this, Karen, you know, they, you know, you can see why these conditions might be interrelated, um, because they all, you know, yeah, have a similar roots, don't they? So, um, exactly. Yeah, how they, hmm. Yeah, definitely. And and like you say, Aileen, you know, this condition was first uh, defined in 1992. But then in 2007, the American College of Sports, uh, Sports Medicine updated the definition of FAT to reflect the interdependence of uh, low energy availability with um, amenorrhea, decreased bone mineral density, and osteoporosis, and um, and that low energy availability uh, was seen to be evident either with or without the presence of any disordered eating or eating disorders. And again, we have we do speak about um, low energy availability in um, other episodes. So this is possibly a. a, a, a a, a title that our listeners have heard us um, speak about before. So then from 2007 in 2014, the IOC, so the International Olympic Committee, reported um, on the syndrome 
um, um, we know as um, Red S. Now, Red S highlighted the impact of the low energy availability on the human body, but also recognised FAT as one of the outcomes of um, low energy availability, but sitting within the Red S model. So it's quite complex. This this whole topic of LEA Red Red S and the FAT, um, but but hopefully you know as we go through it, it'll, it'll become much clearer for everyone. But like I said earlier, the the Red S model, as well as recognising. FAT within their model, it also recognised that male athletes may also suffer from many of the symptoms clearly outside of the menstrual related symptoms. So that was just kind of updating it again. Great. So hopefully that's given everybody uh, an understanding of what the definition of FAT is. Um, and, um, you know, you've given us a bit of a background to how that fits into the Red F. Um, area of research too. So let's uh, move on now, Karen, and think about the current research and understanding of FAT. Uh, so what have you, you found that you can tell us, Karen? This low energy availability could potentially occur intentionally or unintentionally. Now, remember that energy availability is defined as energy or calories, as many people call it, but we prefer to use energy, the word energy. And it's this, um, uh, is defined as energy from food eaten minus energy or calories that are used for exercise. So low energy availability occurs when there's a mismatch between the energy intake and the energy output. And that can occur either through increased energy expenditure, so through exercise, or through insufficient food intake, so just not eating enough to fuel the, the, the training that's been done. Or it can actually be a combination of both leading to that overall um, energy deficit. Now, studies um, also indicate that early recognition of low energy availability in female athletes and an understanding of the FAT syndrome and its progression is really paramount to preventing the short but also the long-term health consequences of it because, you know, you were reading out how they were connected, Aileen, to um, bone mineral density, osteoporosis, um, amenorrhea, which could potentially lead to infertility. So the long-term health effects are um, potentially quite serious. Yeah, and as you say, early identification of low energy availability would be really important because, you know, as, as you've just mentioned, all of these things, all these different health conditions are you know, they're on that spectrum, you know, it might start with um, low energy availability, but then it, it moves into other areas because of nutrient deficiencies uh, in the longer term, um, you know, and the things that you've, you've mentioned, like loss of menstrual cycle, low uh, bone mineral density, and, you know, potentially disordered eating or eating disorders. And, you know, that not only just impacts health and performance in the short term, but it also leads into the longer term as well. So, you know, you've got to be thinking about what you're doing as a younger woman and how that might affect you um, as you grow older. Um, so, Karen, you, you mentioned earlier a 2022 paper which looked at FAT and recreational runners. And I'm sure many of our listeners will be really interested to know what the key observations were from that piece of research. So, what, what information stood out for you when you were looking at that? Well, actually, Aileen, one piece of information that stood out for me that was mentioned in the study introduction, actually, was that it's now being suggested that only one component of that triad uh, needs to be evident in order for FAT to be established. Right. So that's very interesting. And, and why has that been suggested that um, 
that's the case rather than having at least two aspects of the triad being evident as it was previously? Well, that's a really good question. And the reason for this is um, because research has found that the different components of FAT appear to occur with a different intensity and might appear at different times depending on the athlete's diet and their training load. So in other words, because the different components of FAT may appear at different times, if two components need to be present, it is possible that a diagnose could be missed and that could potentially lead to to these longer-term health consequences that we mentioned. So, for example, if um, amenorrhea is the only presenting condition, say for several months um, or, or years even, um, and, and you needed two symptoms to be um, evident before a diagnosis was made, then that potential long-term infertility could be a health consequence that would be misdi- would be misdiagnosed or missed because of the missed diagnosis of FAT, so that no action would be taken. So that is the reason why they've decided that only one one needs to be apparent. Yeah, and I suppose that that also uh, means that the the age span of uh, women who might be experiencing FAT um, is a wider age span, whereas maybe in the past it was only considering younger women. Mm. Um, so it, it's really interesting to show the power of research and the observation from the study results and how they can be used. Mm. Um, so going back to my original question, Karen, uh, were there any highlights from the results of the study um, regarding recreational runners, what what would you highlight? Yeah, well, really, the key outcomes were related to uh, menstruation. That was the key focus linking it to FAT for this study. And what they found was that female recreational runners had fewer regular monthly cycles per year besides the control group. They had a control group in this study. So they had fewer regular monthly cycles per year. Um, The menstrual bleeding tended to be shorter and they had slightly more spotting between uh, menstrual periods. And the other observation was that that they had cycles um, every 24 days, which was more than the control group experienced. Okay, so you you were saying that runners tend to have a menstrual stripe on this group anyway, had a a menstrual cycle every 24 days. So that falls within the definition of a regular cycle, so which would be between 21 and 31 days. And it tends to be different for every woman. So what was their concern regarding this result? Yeah, no, you you are right, Aileen. You know that does fall fall into that um, definition of a of a normal or regular cycle. But their concern was around the luteal phase of the cycle. So so the phase in the cycle when there's the thickening of the uterine wall, and that th- they were concerned about whether it was it would potentially be shortened because it was only 24 days in the cycle. Now, they didn't measure the length of the different phases um, of these participant cycles, but it is known that a reduced luteal phase of the menstrual um, cycle is associated with an increased risk of infertility and habitual spontaneous abortion due to inadequate progesterone production. So I think what has come out from this study is that research needs to be um, done on looking at the different phases and is this actually um, factual that with these athletes potentially the luteal phase is shortened so um so so what does that mean yeah that's really interesting and that that would suggest that as you say testing would be required to determine progesterone levels otherwise this defective luteal phase could go undetected so it's maybe something to think about if you're in that situation and uh you know you're, you're trying to get to the root um issues around infertility um, or conception. Okay, um, Karen, let's, um, I know we've talked, we talked a lot about um, what would be classed as um, 
FAT and, and everything that we're talking about is obviously classed as female factors. We often talk about in our subject, you know, is there any female factors? Well, it's all female factors today. Um, but thinking about our listeners and the fact that most of them, uh, like us, are in midlife, was there anything in this study that uh, suggested any de- any differences between our demographic, our age group and uh, younger women? Yeah, well, the only observation that the study mentioned was that um, older runners were less likely to experience menstrual disorders besides their younger counterparts. Now, the difference was quite significant at 67% of younger runners versus only 9% of older runners experiencing any menstrual disorders. Now, the study didn't state at what age the participants were recognised as old, but um, but I believe the oldest participants were approximately forty years of age. So uh, so so clearly still menstruating. So it wasn't that they had moved into perimenopause or menopause. So that was the reason. So they were still young um, and age group mm-hmm. overall, but classed potentially as as older. Um, athletes or or Mm. recreational runners yeah that's interesting I wonder if as you know there are more and more older female runners recreationally these days if eventually there will be research done into FAT and the older woman uh, maybe the women who are sort of perimenopausal postmenopausal potentially so yeah watch the space we'll see so Mm -hmm. That's that's great. So we've so far we've determined what FAT is. We've talked about the components of the, the triad, so the interdependence of uh, low energy availability uh, with amenorrhea, decreased bone mineral density, and osteoporosis, and that can all be with or without the presence of an eating disorder. And we've acknowledged that FAT may occur in recreational runners as well as elite and professional runners. The risk is probably lower, um, although, you know, a lot of recreational runners actually run a lot. So maybe they would be, uh, you know, they're bordering on, you know, high training loads. And um, and also the risk reduces further in older runners too. So um, we're going to move on to discuss nutrition next and its role in the development and prevention of FAT. Before we do that, I just thought it would be a good time just to um, introduce everyone to our free downloadable ebooks. Um, if you're a regular listener, you already know about them. But if you're new, what you might like to do is visit our website, which is runnershealthhub.com, and uh, check out the different uh, ebooks that we have available for you. So all you need to do is look at the top menu bar of our homepage. Uh, click on free nutrition guides and uh, there's a selection there for you, for you to choose from. Now, the most popular one is top running snacks and nutrient timing uh, to help fuel your running. And that goes alongside a lot of the advice that we share in our episodes. Um, so we hope it gets it's helpful for everyone and gets you started on your um, nutrition uh, journey alongside your running. So we've, so that's uh, just a little uh, reminder that that's available for everybody. So moving on, um, we've highlighted that um, underfueling for run training could be a major contributory factor towards low energy availability and the development of FAT. Um, so thinking about carbohydrate, we, we know that carbohydrate is a limiting factor in running performance, and that's because it's a principal, the principal fuel for working muscles. So we could also say that energy availability is a limiting factor in running performance. So I think everybody just needs to hold that thought as we as we move on. Um, so, Karen, what is the current research then about carbohydrate in particular and its links to low energy availability? Is there any uh, new information uh, that you can share with us? Yeah, actually thinking about carbohydrate and low energy availability, Aileen, no, there isn't really any new um, information out there on that. There was um, an excerpt that um, I took from a 2022 textbook, and it was titled Female Athlete Triad. 
And what it stated was that there was a direct correlation existing between carbohydrate availability and reproductive and skeletal health. So really suggesting the close links between carbohydrate availability and that energy availability like that you were speaking about, Aileen. So if 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 carbohydrate is a limiting factor, could we also say that um, energy availability is a limiting factor in performance as well because they are so closely linked? Yeah, definitely. And uh, that's something we've talked about often. Um, and now, did that research paper looking at the recreational runners and FAT, did they highlight any um, nutritional observations yeah, actually, they did. Uh, so what they did in this piece of research was they, they didn't focus on specific uh, nutritional habits and the amounts of different macronutrients consumed um, by individual participants. However, they did ask them if they followed any special diet. And what they meant by a special diet was um, they wanted to know if participants followed, say, a vegan or a vegetarian diet or, or any other approach to eating, such as the likes of a paleo or ketogenic diet. Now, the aim really was to assess if the if the recreational runners really paid attention to what they were eating, whether they had any knowledge around at diets for athletes, or if they even cared about the eating habits uh, that they have, linking them to the running. So that was the the the, the key idea of um of the study and why they asked about special diets. So so based on asking those questions, what were their findings? What did they discover? Well, what they deduced from this information was that um, that female recreational runners who did follow a special diet, as they call it, um, I, I don't know um, if that is what we would say these days regarding special diets, because there are so many different approaches to eating. So, um, you know, special diet is something I'm taking, are words I'm taking from the from the research. It's not actually words I would use regarding these different approaches to eating. Um, but using that, what they deduced was that, um, yeah, like I say, the runners that follow a special diet showed a higher incidence of um, amenorrhea, so that that cessation of the menstrual cycle. And, and, and this seemed to be higher besides the runners who were following a more in inverted commas, normal uh, uh, omnivore uh, type diet. Now, I think it is worth bearing in mind, though, that only 28.7% of the 217 runners were actually following a special diet. So again, it is limited data that we've got here. And also, from the participants' responses to, to the questions that they were given, the researchers weren't able to designate the diets being followed as specific diets for athletes. Rather, they they could have been really diets that were followed as a lifestyle choice, which sounds as though it is, but it, 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 this wasn't established in the study. So, for instance, they found that the most frequently declared diet that the runners were following were the vegan and vegetarian diets, which would sound as though this was more of a lifestyle choice rather than a choice specific for their for their running and their training. Yeah, a sort of lifestyle stroke ethical choice. It'd be really interesting to know, you know, in our current times, in the general population, how many people followed a plant-based diet? Because mm-hmm. I, I think it is something that has been, it's definitely more of a trend, isn't it? Um, but they don't ever ask you anything like that, do they? When you, If they do the census, they should put that on the census questionnaire, shouldn't they, every 10 yeah. years, see how we've changed. Yes. Um, yeah, so going back to what you were just talking about there, Karen, and um, I was just—I'm I'm struggling to understand how they thought this information would be potentially helpful in prevention of the development of FAT. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that, Aileen, because I was struggling to understand the benefit of this specific piece of information. But what the paper did go on to say was that this data, alongside additional information, including the fact that participants 
who were following a low calorie or a gluten free or a high um, protein diet suggested that there was a, a lack of knowledge about the specific dietary needs of a runner and the need to replace um, a potential energy deficit for the run training. Rather, they were following a diet that fitted with their general lifestyle, but this lack of knowledge on nutrition specific for their running could then lead to a disorder of the menstrual cycle and the development of fat. So basically, this lack of knowledge was the, the key issue. Yeah, well, I get that now. So, and I, I would agree that that is, that would be an issue because a lot of people follow a food plan for goals other than their running. Mm. And, um, indeed, as you say, you know, you could understand why that might lead to, um, the inadvertent development of FAT. Exactly, exactly. So I think it's it's education on this subject that is really important for all runners of all abilities and status. And and I think that is where we come in really and why we're discussing the subject today. Um, and I think this lack of knowledge and confusion around what to eat for your sport comes up again and again in research. You know, there was another paper, again, a 2022 paper that I was reading, and it was looking at nutrition culture um, in elite footballers. And I have to say, there is a lot more research out there into football, because uh, female football females because of the football and the prominence that uh, female football has these days. So hopefully this will be a catalyst for us getting much more data coming out just on female athletes. may not be specific to running, but there could potentially be a lot more data um, to come. But anyway, this paper was looking at, like I say, nutrition culture and elite female footballers, and it concluded that there was immense confusion and misconceptions amongst players and their support team as well. So, for example, coaches were confused as well about energy needs, which often led to the to the players underfueling. So, uh, it is a concern. Yeah, very interesting paper, Karen, and it also highlighted how many athletes have a fear of carbohydrates because they're worrying about body image, body composition, weight gain, and that fear can also be exacerbated by external factors and influences such as social media and potentially, you know, the influence from their, their training coaches too. So lots mm. of different uh, things going on there. Yeah, absolutely. Lots of things to think about, lots of fear, lots of confusion about what is needed to ensure that you've got that energy balance for your training. So so really thinking about that, I think these studies and our conversation so far has highlighted the importance of educating uh, education for runners um, of the need for appropriate carbohydrate intake, really to meet their individual energy requirements for run training. Now, this is something that we're always talking about and um, educating show that runners' knowledge on the subject of the female athlete triad linked to energy availability is still really limited. So in a minute, what we will do is go on and discuss how you could maybe think about looking at your food plan to help limit the risk of, of you unintentionally developing FAT. But before we do that, Aileen, I think it's time for a short advert break. So I'm going to hand over to you. Okay, thanks, Karen. So this is the moment in the episode where we take a moment just to tell you a little bit more about what we do outside of the podcast. And today we've been talking about the female athlete triad and um, how many runners have limited knowledge of this syndrome. And as a result, runners can inadvertently fall into this condition, as Karen's been explaining. So from our experience of working with endurance runners we know this to be true uh, so many clients come to us saying they don't know if they're eating enough they don't know what to eat they tell us they feel hungry all the time um, but they don't know how to correct the issue and how to eat appropriately for the training and, and feel confident really in the decisions that they're making and unfortunately we do um, see clients who fall into within this diagnosis of the 
female athlete triad and that they're totally unaware of it, uh, even though they might be presenting with symptoms that would suggest that, you know, it's a, it's a concern. So, you know, it could be dysregulation of the menstrual cycle. They might ha- not have had a menstrual cycle for, a, a, a you know, a number of uh, periods. Um, maybe they're suffering from stress factor. Um, perhaps they have um, disordered eating habits. Um, so all of these sort of uh, are signs and clues and symptoms that uh, there's an underlying concern of FAT. So if you can identify with any of these statements or symptoms, or maybe you're just unsure if you're eating appropriately for your run training, then we'd really love you to book a call with us. We do offer a 15-minute complimentary Zoom call where we can discuss your personal concerns and we can recommend how best we can support you professionally. So if you're interested in finding out how we might be able to work together, uh, what we'd suggest you do is pop over to our website at runnershealthhub.com, click on the work with us uh, tab on the toolbar, um, and then just scroll down and book a free call and you can book a day and a time to suit you. And remember, if you don't see a time that works for you, send us an email to hello at runnershealthhub.com um, and we'll uh, we'll do our best to accommodate you, especially if you're working and living in a different time zone to us. Um, so we hope that's of help and uh, do book a call uh, whenever you need it. Great. Thanks very much, Aileen. Okay, so now let's move on and take a look at what you could do now to help limit the chances of developing any of the conditions really that are associated with FAT. Now, earlier we mentioned that um, female athlete tried is closely associated with low energy availability. So one strategy to consider to help you understand whether you might be at risk of this low energy availability is to think about the following questions. So, you know, do you frequently train and you forget to eat immediately afterwards? That can be very common in runners. Do you restrict your your calorie intake to try and maybe attain or maintain a, a lean physique? Are you under pressure to keep below a certain weight for your sport, for your running? And do you frequently skip meals but you train hard. So your training isn't compromised, but potentially your meals are. Now, if you answer yes to any of these questions, it might be that you are at increased risk of suffering from this low energy availability and potentially falling within the realms of an FAT diagnosis. So really, you know, maybe re-listen to those questions again and sit and ponder and be truthful with yourself. Um, whether you fall into uh, any of that, those uh, questions, if you answer yes to any of these questions or not. So, um, so that would be my, my first, um, the, the, the first step to take, really. Yeah, great questions, Karen. And maybe we could put them in the show notes so that people could just have a quick mm. look at them after the after they've listened to the episode. Um, so with all of that in mind, Karen, um, let's now think about some practical strategies for everyone to consider so that we're working towards prevention of low energy availability occurring in the first place. So the best advice we can give you today is think about working with a sports nutrition professional who can guide you through um, your nutrient intake to support your goals to ensure that you've got sufficient energy for your run training as well as all the other um, everyday requirements that we have and as I said earlier this is certainly something that Karen and I could help you with but more general advice um, would be to think about are you eating enough for your training? So the things that you need to be considering are remember to eat if you feel hungry and don't go hungry for long periods of time. I know that seems obvious and some people like to, you know, extend the uh, period between meals, but sometimes um, they're really ignoring true hunger and they sometimes do that because they say that they're too busy to eat. Um, but you've got to really think about you know, what are you do? Your food is there to help you recover from whatever exercise you're doing. Um, so, you know, don't uh, don't put off the next meal. Um, 
And also think about the food choices you're making. Are they nutrient dense? So that's a good question to ask. And we've, we've mentioned how important carbohydrate is in the prevention of low energy availability. But remember about the other macronutrients. So remember protein, remember fat and all the also micronutrients, vitamins and minerals. And they're also essential for running performance. And uh, we've got lots of, um, podcast episodes on these topics so if you need pointing in the right direction um, just drop us an email and we'll we'll make a recommendation for you mm-hmm. and then actually Eileen you, you mentioned carbs there and and the big question there I think for people to ask is are you eating or to ponder is are you eating sufficient carbs to fuel your running now here you could think about the athlete's plate concept and we do have an episode dedicated to this so you might want to go back and listen to that it's episode 137 athletes plates in practice where we outline which athlete plate to use depending on how much training you are doing on any given day so it's a really good guide just to help ensure that you're eating enough carbs um, and all the other macros and um, micros that you've just mentioned Aileen but specifically it's more about the, the change up or down depending on your training of your carbohydrate intake and the other thing I would say is to remember to always eat before during and after long training runs again these are key times when people can forget to to eat um you know people can just run out of the door and um and and not consider um eating anything and yet they're going for a really long run and that potentially can lead to feeling too sick at the end of a run to then eat when again you need to be fueling and it's this forgetting at the beginning that leads to the not feeling able to eat at the end so all these timings before during and after are really important um, for uh, ensuring a, a good performance and good recovery but also remember you know carbs are key here but protein is important too for muscle recovery after training so it's important for muscle recovery for muscle repair and for muscle remodeling so so be mindful of your protein intake as well following training. Now, I'm speaking about um, always ensuring that you're eating before, during and after long runs. You could run in the fasted state up to 90 minutes. And this is something that we've spoken about quite a lot in the past as well. But if you do uh, run in the fasted state, then it is important, again, to eat immediately afterwards and ensure that your food choices at that time are nutrient dense. So, again, that eating immediately afterwards is to replenish the, the glucose and the glycogen stores so that you recover well and performance is maintained. And also you're ensuring that you're maintaining that energy balance a balanced energy availability so so you know easy to forget but really important to ensure that that uh, that you don't move into that fat syndrome and karen would you say that the fastest state running is usually best done early in the morning so it's not something that you would do during the day because you wouldn't really be in a true fastest state to get the benefit would you Exactly that, Aileen. Um, it's yeah, fasted state running is best done in the morning because you've had that overnight fast. You're just getting up out the door and um and heading off. I wouldn't recommend that that you, you go through the day uh, trying to maintain a fasted state just for training later because you're you you've got that incidental activity during the day. You know the brain's working, the body's working, so you're using up energy. So you need to take on energy before you then run. Great, great. Thanks for clarifying that, Karen. So um, we did talk about um, earlier that runners are sometimes scared of, of carbs now it's not not all runners it can just be um anybody in particular but a lot of people are, are carbs you know they they move away from carbs and i can really relate to this because i used to avoid carbs whenever i could um but over time what i discovered was that my running performance began to suffer it was very erratic and um it it was uh 
you know, I've, I've discovered the root cause was because I wasn't eating enough carbs. And it took me a little bit of time um, to identify this and to come to terms with it. But I did start to become friends with carbs again. And now I know how to use them strategically to support my training. So my, my advice today would be rather than being scared of carbs, see them as an important nutrient for the general health, the brain health, for also your running performance and it's about using them strategically alongside your training um, and if you do that it, it'll uh, be really really helpful and supportive to you yeah definitely and I do think carbs are good friends it's just about um, managing your intake and that's where the athletes plates can be really helpful um, and 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 working out how much you need uh, depending on your training but some runners do like to log their energy intake just to ensure that they are eating enough to fuel their running now it isn't something that we generally recommend. We we, we prefer um, to to promote the the athlete's plate. It's just a nice visual. It's easy to do, and you don't have to weigh everything that you eat. But for some people, it could be helpful. So if you feel it would help ensure that you're eating enough for your running, then the general recommendation is to take on board at least 45 calories per kilogram of free fat mass. But again, remember that this will fluctuate depending on the amount of training that you are doing. Now, logging energy intake and output is something that I did for a while in the past, and it was really to help me understand my personal energy needs. And as a result of doing that, just for a period of time, I find that I can now visually work out my macros and what I need, depending on what running I'm doing on, on any given day. Um, but I do find that now and again, I'll go back to, to logging my intake and output, especially if I feel that I may be losing weight or I'm starting to get um, injured more frequently. Because for me, certainly, these are my telltale signs that all is not in balance. So um, so it can be helpful for some people, but the, I do think the athlete's plates are, a, are a, an easier model to follow. Thanks, Karen. Some good tips there for everybody. Um, so I think the key message uh, for today is to be more mindful in your food intake, especially your carbohydrate intake, to ensure that you are in energy balance and not energy deficit. Um, and import, it's important to remember to use carbs strategically around your training and ensure that all of your nutrient choices are or all your food choices are nutrient dense and then you're going to be getting the best from your food and as we said we've got so many different episodes dedicated to fueling for running and they provide many uh, carbohydrate rich food ideas so that you can uh, add them in at different times around your training so particular episodes that you might want to listen to are episodes 34, 35 and 36, which all focus on food for pre, during and post training. Um, so uh, we hope they'll be really helpful for you. So, Karen, we've, we've come to that point where we need to round up. Uh, so before we go, would you please give us your key takeaways for today's episode? Yeah, absolutely, Aileen. So firstly, what I would say is just as a reminder, the FAT is defined as a syndrome where there's this interdependence of low energy availability with amenorrhea, decreased bone mineral density and osteoporosis with low energy availability being evident either with or without the presence of any disordered eating or eating disorders. Now, low energy availability may occur intentionally or unintentionally. But despite this, early recognition of low energy availability and the FAT in a runner is paramount to prevent the short and the long-term health consequences of it. Now, different components of FAT may occur with a different intensity and it could appear at different times depending on a runner's diet and training load. So as a result, like we were saying, only one aspect of the syndrome needs to be apparent in order for FAT to be established. So be mindful of your symptoms because if not addressed, the conditions associated with FAT could potentially lead to um, 
uh, a situation of infertility or osteoporosis in the long term. Now, current research that um, suggests that within the recreational running community, there is this general lack of knowledge about the specific dietary needs of a runner and the need to replace a potential for energy deficit from the run training. And this lack of knowledge could potentially lead to this inadvertent development of of FAT that I mentioned. Now, we highly recommend that you work with a sports nutrition professional as they can really guide you regarding your nutrient intake to support your goals, but at the same time still ensuring that you're eating appropriately to fuel your running and your your training to avoid LEA or low energy availability and the development of FAT occurring. And then finally, I would just say um, consider using our Athletes Plate concept as a tool to guide your food intake, especially your carbohydrate intake, to help maintain that energy balance for your running so that FAT doesn't become a concern for you. And that would be it, Aileen. Great. Thank you, Karen. That's been a really interesting uh, conversation today. And remember, everyone, don't let nutrition be the limiting factor in your running performance. Thanks for joining us today on She Runs, Eats, Performs. We hope you've enjoyed this episode and will join us again soon. Before you go, please listen to the end to hear more about Amazing Jane Activewear and why their leggings were voted best for runners by Women's Fitness. Once again, thanks for listening and have a great week. We'd like to introduce you to our show sponsor, Amazing Jane Activewear for Women's Changing Bodies, recommended as best leggings for running by Women's Fitness Magazine. We think they have everything a female runner needs. First of all, they are high compression to support your legs and bum. They have a deep waistband so they stay up and they don't move about when you run. There's a handy left pocket for your phone and a zip pocket on the waistband, which is great for your cards or a key. They also have a hidden tracker pocket for storing a GPS tracking device, and this is a unique safety feature. All Amazing Jane designs, including tanks and tops, are cut to skim, not cling, giving you confidence to look and feel great and focus on performance. Karen and I have been trialing wearing their range for a few months, and we can happily recommend them. So if you'd like to try Amazing Jane Activewear, please use our listeners' special discount code RHH10 for 10% off all purchases at amazingjane.com. Amazing Jane ship around the world, so please check their website for details. Thanks again to Amazing Jane Activewear for being our show sponsor and for sharing discount code RHH10 for 10% off all purchases.